This is Rough Drafts Welcome, the podcast where you can mess up, and we can too. I'm Sachiko. And I'm Erin. And together with the editors at Salt and Sage Books, we're changing the face of storytelling one rough draft at a time. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Good morning, Sachiko. Good morning, Erin. How are you? I'm, I'm good. How are you? You know what? I could be better. Yeah. So here's what I just found out. Um, I just found out that my primary paycheck that I get as a freelancer is on hold for 30 days mm. and it may not come back. So I what, thought what happened. What happened? Well, anyway, the, the main thing is, is that today I want to talk about freelancing and sensitivity reading. Oh gosh. Yes. Because it's on my mind and I just want to reach out to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, the economy isn't great. The economy seriously affects publishing. A lot of you out there may be freelancers. You probably know exactly what I'm talking about. It's hard to get jobs and it's hard to find jobs that pay well. So I want to talk about um, freelancing from a freelancer's perspective. And then at the end, I want to come back around and give some advice to people who might want to try to hire a freelancer. Excellent. I'm here for it. I think this is probably going to be where I'm mostly going to sit back and listen. because <laughs> I, I just I have a different experience with it than you do. Um, like I have, I am deeply privileged to have never been in a position where I had to rely on my freelance income to like support my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you, you know it differently than I do. You experience it differently than I do. So I, if you want me to say something, maybe tell me, okay, what do you think? But like, I think mostly I'm just, I'm going to listen. I'm going to nod. I'm going to learn with you. Awesome. I will definitely ask for your feedback because you've been really important in my freelancing journey. I do have a lot of thoughts. I mean, we employ, Salt and Sage employs freelancers. Yes. Like I have a lot of feelings about it, but for me, they're mostly from the administrative end. Yeah. Well, it goes right to the heart of Salt and Sage, which is why I wanted to talk about it today. So here's first my background in freelancing. Um, Before Aaron and I started Salt and Sage, I already had an LLC because I had been freelancing sensitivity reading with like um, publishers, game companies, and for independent authors. And I had also been writing a lot of marketing copy and doing ghostwriting. So I was already trying to make money. Why was I freelancing? Because I was an at-home mom who was homeschooling. I had seven kids and I needed to get food and medical for them. So freelancing was an, an absolute lifeline. It was everything and it was all of my income. Um, what was great about Salt and Sage when we started was one of the main questions Aaron and I had were, was how can we ensure that people can find good sensitivity readers and editors, but also how can we make sure that those freelancers get paid? So one of the biggest issues working as a freelancer is, um, making sure that you are paid and that you can set expectations and more importantly, hold clients to expectations. I don't want to jump into having an adversarial approach to this, but something that I had to learn the hard way as a freelancer was how to have contracts. So uh, do you want to speak on contracts a little bit? What we've oh, had yes. to <laughs> I could talk about contracts for a long time. Yes. Um, okay, so from a freelancer perspective, 
I remember when you and I were talking about this first, um, your contract needs to cover a couple of basic things. And first of all, you have to have a contract with every single project that you do and you should not begin work until that contract has been signed. And a lot of people will try to like wiggle around that. I don't know why. And I'm saying people really loosely, like companies, whatever it happens to be. Um, some of them are really wonderful in making sure that contracts get signed. But as a freelancer, do not start work until the contract has been signed. Don't, mm -hmm. just don't do it. Just don't do it. So your contract needs to specify what the project is, like the title or whatever, um, and real, really like drill way down into exactly what the deliverable is going to be. For example, if you're writing, if you've committed to writing like five blog posts for something, you want it to say uh, that this contract is specifically for five blog posts of under 1500 words on the following topics that with X amount of revisions and X amount of, uh, I don't know, like proofreading yes. stuff that's done, whatever, like you want to specify really particularly exactly what the deliverable is and like get as detailed as you can because it will save your bacon and then you also want to have um when you will be paid how you will be paid and how much you will be paid and a lot of freelancing places i have found will pay you upon completion of the project Mm -hmm. And they say things like we pay within 60 days of completion. So then I would have that in writing in your specific contract. And a lot of times they'll give you a contract. You just want to read through and make sure that everything is in there, especially the deliverable, like defined really specifically. And then also when they will pay you, how they will pay you and how much they will pay you. Um, you can negotiate sometimes, not always, but some companies will if they say like oh we normally pay within 90 days you can tell them it would be easier for me or i can take on this job if you can agree to pay net 30. so net just means like once the project is done then it's 30 days 30 full days after that day mm -hmm. so if you like net 45 or whatever that's what that means it's 45 days but a lot of places you can specify like i would like this payment to be marked as net 30. um sometimes they're not willing but like you can always ask you can always ask. Yes. Um, and some of them are constrained, especially the smaller companies are constrained by um, budgetary stuff where like they only receive payments on a certain day. So then they can't pay till after that day. But, you know, just ask all the questions, especially with being paid. And yeah, the clearer that you can be about when you're expected to be paid, the better. And yes. as far as like taxes go, freelancers, you basically have to take care of all of your own taxes. So it is a great big red flag to me if you ever see something in a contract where they say we will withhold taxes on your behalf, like that's not okay. Unless you are like, if you are a 1099, which is you like in the United States anyway, if you're a 1099 employee, which is you are a contractor, then they should not be withholding taxes. You should be the one who's taking care of your taxes. You They only withhold taxes on your end if you are a W-2. And if an accountant or a tax person is like, they're actually like, like exceptions to that that's fine this is what i'm aware of it could be more complicated than that but yeah that thank you so much Eleven, listening to this listening to this what you just heard was something i had to take about six to twelve months to learn the hard way with a lot of frustration aaron was there for all of that and uh i mean your experience is part of the reason that i understand contracts now. Exactly. Because and, we, I mean, you went through like all of the, the bumps so that we could be like, wait a minute, we know how to do this better. 
you know, and it's so tempting because, you know, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser and I'm nice and I like working with nice people and most people are nice. And I think if you're nice to nice people, people are nice. So it's really hard to wrap one's brain sometimes around the business mindset of the nicest thing we can do for ourselves and for each other is to have a very clear contract. Yes. So beloveds out there listening, if you are a freelancer who wants to start working tomorrow, and you're not sure how to create a contract, here's the way I did it when I was starting out and I was penniless. Create a template just in a Google Doc and make sure that all of your communications are via email because then it's time stamped and yes. it's written. And make sure all those agreements are, are there. It doesn't have to be perfect or tidy. It doesn't always have to be exhaustive, but you need something. Yeah. And that is something to build on. As you earn more and as you get more work, you can start incorporating something like DocuSign or one of those other companies or apps. And, you know, the best thing I ever did was hiring a professional accountant to help me with this. But if you need to get started, because a lot of people out there are hungry and need medical, yeah. I know where I know what that's like. So that's a good way to that's a good place to get started. So here's one of the reasons can why I, I want to add real quick that you can yes. you can Google sample freelance contract and like yes. there are so many out there that you can take that template and customize it you don't have to reinvent oh. the wheel and this is so important this is something that we use at salt and sage books because we are passionate about making sure that freelancers can have good ethical contracts have the enforcement with a company behind them which is what we try to provide at salt and sage and that pay is clearly spelled out so pay we got to talk about money y'all yeah, we do. Um, Salt and Sage Books, we we have our pay schedule and it's set on the EFA and we can include a link to that in our show notes. You need to know how much to charge. So the EFA is the Editorial Freelancers Association. They actually haven't updated it since 2019, um, which mm. is a pity. I'm like dying for them to do a new update, but yeah. um, my cat's going to wander in. But um, the so the EFA basically did a gigantic survey of all of their members and they said how much do you charge for these things and so they have like ranges on their website if you just like if you literally just google efa rates it will you'll be able to find that yes because you need to be able to do not ask your client how much they can pay you mm -mm. don't put yourself in that position and don't put them in that position because no matter how friendly things are that can turn things sour because people are going to have to you play this guessing game it's very stressful there can be a lot of tensions that will linger from all of that figure out your price schedule and if you are like me and you've you've come out of a culture where your work is not appreciated and is not paid and so it's very hard for you to learn how to ask for money and how to charge for your services sit down with a friend have the friend help you figure this out and then have the friend be the person who's in charge of that so that you are just delivering the information. Mm -hmm. This is how much this service costs. It's not, this is how much I'm going to charge you. This is how much the service costs. Yes, oh, that's such a good distinction. So when you have, if you are building a website, for example, instead of saying, I charge X for X, you mm -hmm. would say instead, this service costs X. Oh, sorry, all of my like little alarms are going off because <laughs> this is life it's real fine, life you guys we're neurodivergent we need we need loud timekeeping devices in my house or all of us are like what it's 3 p.m no one's had lunch yes literally my i have i have to set alarms to remind myself to drink and eat because uh -huh. apparently 
I don't otherwise. I mean, that that proprioception and interoception is a doozy. So what were we just saying? So we were talking about (laughs) pricing and charging. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. The other thing that's been incredibly helpful for me, you're all going to be so shocked, is to make yourself a spreadsheet. And... (laughs) Well, and to know your own data, right? Like, um, for example, I know that when I do a line edit and my line edits are, they're a little intense, I will admit. I have tried to train myself to lean back, but I am just an intense line editor. And some clients really want that. And I'm such a good fit for when they're like, I want like an intent. I'm like, yeah, I got you. Because I love doing like the super, anyway. But I end up spending um, on like a 50,000 word piece just doing the editing portion not doing like the writing the letter and everything afterwards and not including client communication. So like excluding all of that, it probably takes me a solid 30 hours, which is a lot of hours. And again, you should not take what I am saying as like a, oh, well maybe I'm not taking enough time. No, 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 no. All my editor friends are like, Aaron, oh my gosh, do less, do less. Like I am the problem child when it comes to line edits. (laughs) But, um, Anyway, so say, just we'll take that as an example, right? Say that you know that it takes you 30 hours to edit a 50,000 word book. Then what you're going to do is, I mean, we can even, I could open a spreadsheet and show you how to do it right now. But you basically say, if I am charging, like how much am I charging? How much can I do in one hour? How many words can I do in one hour? And then how much money do I want to be making? Um, you can start at minimum wage, whatever your state is. Um, I honestly think you should be charging at least 20 to $25 an hour minimum. Um, ideally, I would love to see freelancers be able to charge more like $50 an hour for editorial stuff because of the amount of education and practice that you have to do. Like it is an expertise. You don't just, you can't just like pick a random person off the street and have them do this job. So And not to say that that's what minimum wage is, but my point is that it requires an amount of education that should then be well compensated, an amount of expertise. Yes. So I I would like start yourself between 20 and $25 an hour at a baseline, please. At a baseline, start yourself there. And then you can just, you can do the math. And I mean, do you want me to like do the math? We can do the math, but that's how I would figure out I would then charge per word. We'll see if people ask for the math. Yeah. The math if you want the math, tell me. We can we can do a whole episode on how we figure out pricing. But yeah, so, figure out how much you charge. And we like doing it per word. I know some people do it per hour. Um, yeah. Some people do like per project, uh, per page number. Like, you know, it, it depends what feels best. To it you. depends on the project. If you are freelancing for um, game development, mm-hmm. it doesn't always apply well to yeah, per word, count. but per hour, per hour, like a an on-screen meeting where you're mm-hmm. viewing a uh, video and, and, and you're giving spot. live feedback. Yeah. Yeah. That's make sure you that's charge more that. expensive. Yes. For it me is. Because it requires you to like, you don't have the time to sit back and process and research and right. frame your answers. You have to do a lot of like on the fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Basically um, as somebody who has freelanced unto burnout, what I recommend heavily that you do, beloveds, if you are considering freelancing and you want to step up your, your freelancing career that you've already begun, is make sure that you set it at sustainable levels. It's very tempting, especially when you're desperate, and I have been desperate, to take any job for any pay yeah. and to just throw yourself at it. And I've done it, 
and and it turned out okay and it turned out really well even but it wasn't sustainable so make sure that it's something where you can still be an alive human at the end of all of that work mm-hmm. not just a shattered husk yeah. <laughs> of an editor. especially if you're doing like it's one thing if you can say okay freelancing is my full-time job i can spend 40 hours a week yeah. and then you know you just fill that 40 hours um mm-hmm. but I know for your situation and for my situation, it's been very much like I have a full-time job and that full-time job is raising my children or keeping my house or homeschooling or, you know, all of the above all combined together. Um, And we are not here to devalue the labor that it takes to run a household because if you really, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, but it's not that hard to run a household, bet, come trade me. I'll swap. We can do that if you want to. Um... No, it, it's so much work and it's so emotionally exhausting. So then after that, to then have to say, okay, I have like three hours in the evening or maybe two hours or maybe one hour. This is the time that I have is this evening time. And maybe I can scratch out like three hours on weekend mornings. Like yeah. you, it's, it's incredibly easy to um, find a lot of projects and unintentionally overfill yourself because you need the money. And it's, it's such an impossible balance, but... I don't know. How how did you figure out like how to balance it? Well, do you remember when think that that's a great question. Do you remember how at first I was like I just need any any work yeah that comes along at all and it was so weird when I got to the point of how do I turn away a client? Mm-hmm. How do I turn down work? Like everything in me said I needed this work for survival. How do you yeah. pick jobs and how do you turn some down? Um for me it's what do I already have a process for? What can I incorporate into my daily life? Ooh, that's the most so smart. Daily? The process is so smart. This became really important a couple of years ago. Um, I was going through a divorce. I was in a car accident and I had a serious concussion. I've got back problems, some chronic health pain stuff, and my house flooded. So it I really re- was like thing after thing after thing. <laughs> it was like your house. Was your house went through retrograde. It was so retrograde. I mean, it was amazing. So I needed jobs that I could sit down and it wouldn't always have to be reinventing the wheel where I had a set process. I could do the job in a workmanlike way, show up a little, have enough emotional energy to show up for my clients yeah. and be, because I like to be encouraging. I like to really thank them for the work that they're doing and for well, seeking. You are so personable. Like anyone, if you guys hear this and you've worked with Sajiko, you know exactly what I mean. By the end of the edit, you're like, I have a new best friend. And she genuinely feels that way too. Like you love your clients. You love the people who you work with. They're my friends now. I love Mm -hmm. my clients. If you have been my client, thank you. I have so loved meeting you through your work and I just have loved to work with you. I I feel that way about pretty much all my clients. I mean, she really is sincere about it too. Even like when it's a difficult edit, you still leave being like, I just love this person so much. Like I can see how hard they're trying. Yeah. Thank you. Anyway, I love that about you. That's, I mean, I have a lot of favorite things about you, but that's one of them. Oh, thank you. You're so wonderful. I I really hope my clients have felt that too. So that is another part of freelancing is client expectation. When you are getting contracts and you're, if, if you're starting out tomorrow, say, and you just need to email back and forth and you're saying, what do you expect on the edit? you're going to need to ask leading questions. Your client doesn't always know everything that they are, that they want, and they don't know everything that you're willing to provide. So something I always ask is what kind of tone that they want? Like, do they need encouragement? 
do they want a business-like tone? Do they need a lot of feedback or do they need minimal feedback? Because in sensitivity reading, if you're working for a publisher, less is more. Oh yeah. Like they just need actionable bullet mm -hmm. items. If you're working for an indie author, most indie authors, they're like, more is more. Please just yeah. lay yeah. everything on me. I need to know that somebody read my story and cared about it. Mm -hmm. I need to know that I can move forward with some of this. Is this, is my story worth revising? I mean, they, so for those of you out there who are thinking about freelancing, ask these questions. If you're thinking about hiring a sensitivity reader, come up with your expectations and be honest. If you need encouragement, tell them. Yeah. That is something that is, that is a way to know if the person that you want to hire is a good fit for you there because seems, you have to get a good fit. Really though, there seems to be like this, it's, it's a patriarchal assumption that asking for somebody to be gentle with you is like weak, but mm -hmm. it's really not, it's really not. I mean, we'll, we'll probably touch on this point in every single episode that being a writer is this strange combination of being able to be really, really, really tender and sensitive to the world around you and being able to take criticism and feedback and critique. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a hard balance. But especially if you find an editor where you are sending something that you are uncertain about, it's, I think it's really beautiful to say to them, I need you to be so gentle with me. Like, I'm really nervous. To be really honest about where you are emotionally helps them to meet you where you are and makes it a better experience for everybody across the board. Destroy yes. the patriarchy. Tell people you need them to be nice to you. <laughs> yes. And if you're paying somebody fairly, this is part of the job. It yeah. is part of the emotional labor of editing and especially sensitivity reading. If you need, you know, if you, if you say, can you please couch it gently or just help me learn or find good things that I'm doing right, ask. Ask for what you need. That's, I would, if somebody came to me and said, I want to pay you to just find good things in my writing, done. done. Best I job would love ever. That job. I would love it. So there are people out there, if you are looking for someone, there are people who would love to give you that kind of support. Mm -hmm. So problems to look out for as a freelancer. Uh, the reason you need to be very, very aware of the value of your labor is because it's all too common for people to prey on, free, on freelancers. We freelancers the tend stories to- stories I could tell you. Hold. We are professionally and economically vulnerable. And the bigger the company is that may hire you, the more red flags you need to assume. You have to be so careful. Make sure that you are charging well. For those of you starting out, nearly every freelancer I have met starting out, whatever it was that they thought they should charge, triple that, okay? Yep. And then you're getting closer. Yep. You must, and you must put into your contract when they need to pay you by, because a lot of the big companies that tend to hire freelancers mm -hmm are not always prompt in payment. Nope. It's just even, be aware. Even from our end, like even as a company being like, hey, you need to pay us. Like they, they still, they just, the wheels of bureaucracy move very slowly. Yes. So it, yeah, in some of the, and I'm trying to be so careful here because there are a lot of good people working in a lot of the big companies that hire a lot of freelance sensitivity readers who want it to be otherwise. And they work so hard on behalf of diversity and representation and they work really hard to try to make sure everything goes smoothly yeah. between their company and ours as salt and sage but 
a normal turnaround time for payment with a lot of these bigger companies is way longer than you may be able to weather as a freelancer. Yeah. So this is partly why Aaron and I really saw the need for Salt and Sage because freelancers, we, we felt like people needed like a guild or a, a shelter and have to have the aegis of a big company behind them saying, hey, pay yeah. these people, pay yeah. these people what they're worth. The other thing that we've seen that um, I feel very bothered by this. I was waiting for a second, like, do I actually want to talk about that? I do. Um, this happens more often than probably even I know about. But we have people, we'll just say people, broadly, again, people, who will come to the Salt and Sage website, they find an editor, they read the editor's bio, they're like, wow, this person is perfect, I want to hire them as a, as a sensitivity reader. And then they go find that editor somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Like they'll go to their, and like, we're not opposed to people like saying, wow, I love you. I found you through Salt and Sage. Will you be my, like, we don't offer book we, coaching. We don't example. have a non-compete clause, guys. No, we don't. Like, we're totally cool with like, if, if you need to, like, especially if it's something we don't offer, like a book coach, or if you want to hire someone as a ghostwriter, like we don't have the systems in place as a company to be able to support those projects so like like really like if you're like oh, oh my gosh i want to hire a ghostwriter so bad i found sachiko through salt and sage's website do you ghostwrite like that would be completely different than what we do see which is people come to the website and then they go to your website or find your email or hit you up in your twitter dms or whatever and then they ask they pitch you a project and then they lowball you and mm. i mean it's not just like a little bit of a lowball either like our prices are listed on the website you can with a, with a little calculator like you can figure out what your edit is going to be and we did that very very on purpose to i've yes. actually gotten criticism about that you know that from like other editorial companies they're like why do you have your prices up on your website i'm like because it's deeply important that people know what to expect when they come in in my opinion yes yes anyway for me that feels super important but um Oh, words, words, words. Dang it. I should not go on like little side tangents. I lose but things. No, this is super important because people need to know. I have seen it happen. It's happened with me too. Yeah. Um, they will find you and then they will kind of corner you and offer you less than your worth. Yeah. So, and sometimes it's a lot less. Like we had, I'm yes. thinking of one in particular where we probably, it was a big project. We probably would have charged like $1,500 for it because it was a big project and they wanted it fast. And yes. they literally got the quote from us and then went to the editor to her personal website, found her, emailed her, and offered her $300 to do the exact same project. And I mean, we were like, what are you, what, really? Like, no, no. Like that's, that's, that's another thing to establish as a business person is um, what are your rush fees? Have yes. rush fees, have rush fees. You might even want to consider implementing a booking fee and a cancellation fee. You're, as a freelancer, your work as an administrator is probably one of the, for it's me, like it was one of the last things that I thought I needed to do and is the first most important thing. It is the first most yeah. important thing and one of the more difficult things to learn. Yep. So if, you, if there's any way you can streamline your administrative process, do it. It's that's why we wanted to offer that with Salt and Sage to people that we would do the administrative end, we would do the negotiations, client management. Yep, we manage the invoices. 
Mm-hmm. So the, all they find the show bookings, up. Yeah. yeah, all you have to do is download the project. Yes. And then edit it. So if there's, a, if there's anything that Salt and Sage stands for, it's we just want people to be, there needs to be more kindness and, and we need to be ethical. We need to be, you know, not just ethical freelancers because we're doing our best out here, right, guys? But those of us who are hiring freelancers, let's do an ethical job of it. Yeah. I mean, find the people who are going to be a good fit for you, but be aware that people deserve to be paid fairly for their labor. Yep. It's a way... Um, to me to move in integrity with the things that you believe and like if you're hiring a sensitivity reader you obviously feel like diversity and equity is important yes and paying them well is a way to do that and yes um, yeah from a freelancer standpoint I feel like it's so important to charge more than what you think you're worth Mm-hmm. Really, like set your prices what you think is a little too high. Ooh, that's another like sneaky tip that we've learned is that <laughs> if you have one pro, have multiple prices on your website for like levels of support and then take the one that you're like, okay, this is as high as I am comfortable charging and then double that and make another tier, make it higher to say like, like this is like your extra super intense support or whatever. So make it stuff that you're willing to do. But like this would be the equivalent of the client like buying five hours on the phone with you where you can just like sit and talk where it's like an intense one, whatever it happens to be for your particular project. But you'd be surprised when you set your high price higher than you think, you'll find more people will purchase that middle tier. It's like a psychological thing. So always have one higher than what you think. Always have something on your website that you're like, no way is anyone ever going to buy this. And then as soon as someone does buy it, make another tier that's higher, that costs even more. And it's excellent data for clients. I've worked with a lot of people who have hired me because they already knew me through some other kind of network. Mm -hmm. And these people are not necessarily professional writers are certainly not in the publishing industry. They don't know what the normal expectations are for an edit, which means they can be they are so kind and they are sweetly ignorant of the limits of reasonable work, which means they will keep yeah. thinking that they can keep sending back in revisions and keep asking for personal time. And so if you make it very clear that an edit, that an edit is a limited time event with a single back and forth, yeah. and that if they want more than that, that it has to be defined, clearly defined in a contract. Yes. Please that's clarify, important. clarify the follow-up that you're willing to do. Yes, especially, and I'm not going to say even if it's your friend hiring oh you, my gosh. especially, especially if it's your friend hiring you, make it so clear because if it's your friend, they don't want to find out they've been accidentally taking advantage of you. Nobody wants to do that. So in that vein, for those of you looking for a sensitivity reader, what can you look for so that you can be a good guy who's hiring ethically and paying fairly? So. One of the things that we look for when we are um, partnering with partnering with contractors at Salt and Sage is we're looking for people who not only have all the lived experience that um, is the basis for sensitivity reading, but they also have an ability with literature that they they have an editorial background, they have a background in literature, they have a background in in something so that they are able to give professional level feedback or they have experience that gets them to that point um yes. we found a lot of we there is no in my mind there is no correlation between having a degree and being mm-hmm. a good editor or like having written a book and being a good editor you can be a good editor 
with none of that. Right. The reason I'm bringing this up is because it's very common, especially for newer people, people who are new to the idea of sensitivity eating, reading, and um, people who are uh, maybe reluctant to jump into sensitivity reading, to go and find somebody who isn't necessarily a sensitivity reader and offer them a nominal fee mm. to get a permission slip. And this is very common. People who are not interested in sensitivity reading and 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 who are not maybe necessarily that invested in the success of your particular project or in how that project could affect their own community. Yeah. So that may seem like a cheap alternative up front, but I can tell you uh, I've known people where they maybe didn't take the advice of their sensitivity readers. And then if you have a piece that has a lot of uh, problematic elements that nobody's told you about so that you weren't able to revise them. To, I mean, ideally, if you're looking for a sensitivity reader, you want your impact to match your intent. You have a great, you've got great intentions, right? but you want to make the impact that matches those intentions. If you're accidentally hurting people along the way, this is why we hire somebody who, yeah. so that they can point out confidentially in private before anything has ever reached the public stage. Here are things that you may want to look at. Here's the toilet paper stuck to the bottom of your shoe. You can hire people for very little money to tell you that you have no toilet paper on your shoe. Yeah. Is this the way you want your piece to go out? this is up to you and if it doesn't matter to you okay but for those for whom it does matter and there are so many of you and thank you so much for caring deeply about this um look for people who want to help edit who are editors and they have that sensitivity reading that they can offer as well go and check prices make sure that you are aware of what the fair labor uh what what fair pay is for what you're asking so you, I mean, ideally, you're not going to, in negotiations, it's good to have information. It's not great to take it personally. Yeah. And uh, nobody wants to have their livelihood attacked. Yeah. And be clear up front. If you, if you, even if it's as simple, if you want to hire a sensitivity read, it's as simple as just including a list of questions at the beginning of the project. Sometimes I'll open a manuscript and there will be five things. Can you look for this? Can you check on names? Can you check on places? What do you think I did right? What would be the next, what are the next three steps that you think are most important with this piece? Mm -hmm. Just ask for what you want and what you need. Yep. We should do, we can do a whole episode about um, how you organize edits too. Oh, there's yes. There's so many different cool ways to do it that make my brain yes. very happy. Yes. Okay. We so, are just about at our half hour goal for the podcast or maybe a little over. Um, wonderful. Is there any, like, is there a closing thought you want to leave us on? So in closing, all of you out there in the freelancing trenches, ganbate. We got this. Just keep asking for what you're worth. Yes, 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 yes. And I would say that if, if this podcast episode has made you feel kind of overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, I have to get all of these pieces in place before I can start, it's okay to just start too and figure it out as you go. But if you mm -hmm. do have the mental and emotional space like to set some groundwork first, I really do think it saves you a lot of headaches in the long run. Beautifully said, Erin. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you next time.
This has been Rough Drafts Welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Got any questions? We would love to hear them. Got a complaint? We'll hear it too. Yep. Leave us a five-star review. Pretty please. And thank you. And if you want to book with Salt and Sage Books or learn anything else about what we do, or if you want to work with us or take our courses or blah, 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 you can find us at www.saltandsagebooks.com. And we're all over social media too. We sure are. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.